Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a relationship, dating, and sex coach based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy a good conversation about love, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over, and probably also listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. There's more than one way to be non-binary. Since it's September, which is World Sexual Health Month, I hosted Max Sheffield Baird on Keep Them Coming this week. They shared a lot about their journey from healing past trauma to exploring kink, why pronouns matter, and how the power of story can transform us. A night of incredible storytelling by Amanda Palmer at her June concert got both of us in the feels. Amanda said, if you can share your story, you must that night. So thank you to Max for sharing their story with all of us. Here we go. So my guest on today's podcast is somebody that I met through my entrepreneurial journey. I met them at Global Entrepreneurship Week last year, and they kind of got to witness some of the things that I go through, and that's sort of what started our, our conversation, because um, uh, they saw somebody kind of come at me hard after they heard that I was a sex coach. But hey, if you hadn't overheard that conversation spoken up, we wouldn't have gotten to connect and get to know more about each other. So I want to welcome Max to the show. Thank you so much, Kristen. I'm glad you're here today. Thanks. So it turns out Max is actually my neighbor, too. So oh, yeah. just this is the second neighbor I've actually interviewed for my podcast. It just kind of <laughs> happened that way. I, I connected with a pure romance consultant, and she literally lives right over there yeah. on Cherry. Yeah. Isn't it so weird that we met um, at Global Entrepreneurship Week not knowing we were like two houses down right? from each other? Right. <laughs> Until you happened to see me like walking down the street or something. That's, I did. It's just so bizarre coincidence. I think I saw right? you getting in your car <laughs> one day out front, and I was like, is that? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Now, Max, when, when we first met, though, you were identifying differently. So that's part of why I brought you on today, because, you know, not everyone's willing to come on and talk about their experience with gender. Sure. And I really appreciate you being on today, because I think that there's so many things that people don't really understand about kind of that transition and that journey and things like that. So I really appreciate you being on here today to explore it. Yeah, it's I I I find that every journey is a little bit different. There's also some I think misconceptions, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to um, a lot of there are a lot of trans people who knew through childhood, you know, like they knew very pretty early on. We see this even more now that that has become more accepted. But for somebody who's kind of like gender fluid, like I am. I was very much an adult and I was still, you know, really grappling with that, you know, even, even, you know, again, as you know, even as late as a year ago, like how, how out do I want to be, you know? So, you know, that, that I think that that is something that sometimes people take for granted is like, oh, they, they've known all along and there are some people who will do, but I mean, I think because being gender queer, gender nonconforming, you know, like as a person in a female body, I have more liberty to wear a suit 
or, you know, like, like no one's going to look at me very strangely if I wear slacks or jeans, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as one of those things that's like, you know, um, and I know you had a previous guest. It's like, at what point are you, you know, just a, you know, more masculine woman Mm -hmm. and at what point are you like not really fully in that feminine or masculine box and you're actually kind of outside of that Mm -hmm. so it is kind of interesting because it is a journey and it is something like you and you have to kind of unlearn some things you know what is expected or you know what should I how should I be interacting in fact it's funny I'm not a technical person but I Mm -hmm. talk about gender as like an operating system like Apple or you know like like a Mac or Uh Windows it's always running in the background and it affects everything we do yeah. and how we interact with people, how we would interact with computer programs, you know, mm-hmm. but you don't actually see it going on. It's always in the background. You're not really conscious of it. Mm-hmm. So that's how I perceive my gender. And it's something that I've actually had to become conscious of as I go through, you know, and really how do I want to, how do I want to identify up here? And then how do I want to present to the world? Right. So it's one of those things that, again, when I explain it like that, people are like, okay, I can kind of understand what you mean by that because it does affect everything, but we're also not conscious of it. It's just this mm-hmm. kind of, um, it's very, you know, very interesting because it is a lot of biology and there's a lot of social mm-hmm. aspects to it mm-hmm. too. You can't skew one and then be like, oh no, gender is all social. And I, like some people, um, do say that and mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, it's, uh, somebody who had double the testosterone due to my PCOS, mm-hmm. which I called my natural HRT. <laughs> right. <laughs> my body decided to just make more testosterone because it realized, uh, yeah, well, you know, like, like that is a piece of it, you know, like, it, you know, you can't really say, you know, that it's, com- that it's not biology at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a combination of the two. Yeah, for sure. Because the way that we express gender in the United States is not necessarily the way that gender is expressed across all right. cultures. Right. So, but there are definitely some some sort of uniform things. You can't say that across every single culture, but that that's again where that leads into the biology versus the right, socialization. Right. But it's it's such a combination. Yeah. How I, I think of it, it is complex. Like yeah, that. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, there maybe have been some terms in there that a lot of people aren't familiar with, sure. things like, you know, non-binary and gender fluid. Um, but th- those terms are, are becoming more and more talked about. Sure. I think they're becoming better understood, but I'm sure there's a lot of misconceptions around them. Sure. And as someone who's walking that journey right now, like what sure. are you finding or some of the things that people don't quite get about it? And and again, there there is a lot of kind of, I don't want to say leeway, but... It's such an individual experience. Exactly. Your your journey through realizing that you're more gender fluid than anything else, like your journey's yours. But what do you find are some of the things that people don't really get about it? So what I um, tend to see, and and this is something that like even internally I have to like kind of fight against because that that perception is so strong. People think that there's only one way to present as Mm non-binary. So non-binary, you know, for people who are not aware, it's kind of a subset of trans, at least in my perception, Mm -hmm. because trans people can be binary, being from one, jumping from one box to the other box. Mm -hmm. And non-binary can also mean like you've transitioned from the box you were assigned at at birth into more of like just kind of in between. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a lot of different um, shades of that. 
There's people who don't gotcha. really identify with any gender. Mm-hmm. So that would be a gender. There are people who are kind of a little bit of both. So, you know, more androgynous, mm-hmm. you know, which is a word that we're fairly familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. in popular culture. Um, and then, you know, for me, gender fluid is really like I um, can identify either like in a feminine way and a masculine way or like neutral, like mm-hmm. none. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, uh, p- people experience gender fluidity differently. Um, so I, I joke that while some people are waiting for a pumpkin spice latte season, <laughs> I look and go, oh, I guess it's my season to be femme, to, you know, this three months in, you know, uh-huh. so, <laughs> oh, it's fall. I guess now I'm feeling, you know, more feminine, you know, it's just not necessarily seasonal, like the seasons, but it's like a few months at a time. And then there's some people who kind of cycle a little more, mm-hmm. you know, through those, um, like those depending on what day they, right. Or, yeah. When they wake up, they're like, mm, today I feel more femme and I want to wear this outfit and today I feel more masculine and I want to wear this right. so. or I don't want to have to think about it so mm-hmm. I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans there you go. <laughs> because that is just like that to me that's the most neutral outfit you can pick is Heck yeah. t-shirt and jeans there's a lot of non-binary people <laughs> that just didn't even realize it no uh, but yeah I mean that's the thing is like you say that but that also makes it to where because when you're expressing yourself as a more non-binary person that sort of um let's call it uniform you know the t-shirt and jeans the casual right. look whatever it may be right. pants but you know pants not not dresses usually right right um but that has become such uh, an accepted form of attire and way of dress that it's not like you stand out right you know so i think you've addressed at least on social media from what i've seen about the idea of having to constantly come out have you had to, have you had to kind of go through that to constantly come mm-hmm. out every day mm-hmm. every day Um, and it's, and so this is the, this is the interesting thing. And this is something that, you know, maybe, you know, people who are not in, um, my situation might not understand, but it takes a lot of energy to correct somebody when they're assuming your gender. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I could spend my, all my days ordering pizza. Thank you, ma'am. You know, like I can, you know, I can spend just, you know, just so many things, you know, and so much time, you know, focusing on like people perceiving me correctly that you have to really be judicious to mm-hmm. me because I just don't have that energy, you know, like I don't think really anybody does. So it's almost like a very much a pick your battles type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to the point where I've made the, you know, I've made the the conscious choice to be like, if you see me regularly, like let's say we have a weekly meeting or we have, you know, like people, you know, in my um, church community or people, you know, that I see for social justice um, work that I do, I'm going to correct you mm-hmm. because if I see you every month, you need to get it right. Yeah. You know, if you're just somebody handing me my food, you know, at like, you know, at a restaurant or something, um, I'm, I'm personally not going to take that time. Although my um, spouse is usually good about using my correct pronouns in front of service staff. And mm-hmm. I think that that is a good way to, um, you know, like have no offense, but have other people help you. Having someone model it for others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so. and, and on that note, okay. So I, I do a lot with the LGBT chamber here in town. And we had our trans day of visibility earlier this spring. Did you attend that? I did not. Okay. I was actually previously engaged but i was so upset that i missed it definitely make it next year it's actually one of the largest um transgender day of visibility events in the entire country oh wow we have one of the largest gay and lesbian chambers in the entire country i should say we've rebranded to the lgbt LGBT. chamber recently um we've got a whole brand reveal coming up soon um you should make it to that party point is 
they have, you know, all the buttons for, you know, he, him, his, she, you know, her, they, them. And it really wasn't until that event that I, I heard someone who's trans say to me, like, it's so important for allies Mm-hmm. who are cisgendered to still wear those buttons or to mm-hmm. wear those wristbands because it's simply raising awareness and increasing like the thought of the conversation of like, well, obviously she presents female, like why wouldn't she go by anything other than that? But then it starts raising those questions of like, maybe I do need to start paying more attention to right. people and what they want to be called. I actually wrote an article about that, about why it's so important for cis people. And I also kind of did that in my, um, in my spiritual community. Um, I'm a Unitarian. I go oh. to all souls. And please uh, tell me more about your article. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, um, I really felt that, you know, because we were going through, cause, um, Unitarian churches, uh, in the nineties went through a process of kind of, um, being accredited almost, you know, as like a welcoming congregation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, you, if you've been involved in the um, lesbian and gay and now LGBT chamber of commerce, that focused almost exclusively on the L and the G. Mm-hmm. That's the way, that's the way queer rights have been in this country. Oh, absolutely. Well, first it the, was with the G, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was really gay men. Right. Yeah. Right. And they left out the lesbians, the transgender, right. the and queer, then, the, you know, all of and it. Then, yeah. That became a little more, and then it's like, you know, it's, you know, pride started as a, tra- you know, trans women of color, you know, like this, like these, these are the people who started this yeah. movement and have been left in the dust, yeah. you know, especially it's, but it's queer people, people of color, yeah. you know, yes. like, um, you know, specifically in that, um, but we're now going through a new process, like my, my, my church is going through a new process of like, we did not do what we should have done to begin with, you know, mm-hmm. in the nineties mm-hmm. is a bit different. Like I think, you know, the, the, the consciousness around trans people was not what it is today. No, absolutely. Um, so we're, they were now trying to be more, um, you know, open and welcoming to multiple identities. And I've explained about people who are asexual, mm-hmm. something that some generations don't really understand. Like there's different, you know, the, um, the LGBT, you know, that's why I just call tech, typically called the queer community because mm-hmm. there's to me that's much more of an umbrella and we're kind of taking that word back right 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 yeah I'm I, I say you know I, I say I'm queer I said mm-hmm. I said and if you're attracted to me you're queer too because I'm not binary <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm both. <laughs> there you go <laughs> Uh, but but yeah you know so it's it's an interesting conversation because you know it was it's becoming bigger and bigger and there's a lot of there's a generational thing there too where you know what, you know, what is non-binary? Well, we have to explain, well, what, why pronouns, you know, like this is something that people, again, cis people kind of take for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so, and it's one of those things that why should people who have different pronouns have to single themselves out? You know, I shouldn't be the only one when I introduce myself in like a, in a setting, in a meeting or whatever, be the only one announcing my pronouns, mm-hmm. you know, like that, why, you know, like, let's not, let's, you know, especially, and a lot of people have completely jumped on that. Like I started putting in my email signatures, my pronouns. I should do that. And I don't know why I haven't thought of that before. A, well, and a lot, and a lot of cis people have, it's been even across businesses. Okay. That they I'll are do that. that. I'll totally do that. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause then, you know, like to me and it's, it's, it's inobtrusive. Mm-hmm. It's not like for me, you know, as somebody who is um, non-binary, it's not being like, Hey, you know, who here I am. I'm like, here here's my phone number, here's my email address, here's my, you know, here's my pronouns, you know, mm-hmm. like, so, um, I think to me, there's, it's, to me, it's small things, like, again, when, uh, um, 
my spouse orders like food and oh, oh they would also like a refill of their coke like to me it's like mm-hmm. that says it just takes us like milliseconds for allies to do that that's that's the funny thing is mm-hmm. is you don't you wouldn't even think twice about it but like to the person that you know that's affected by that they're like oh wow this is this made me feel so good mm-hmm. or even um uh when people like refer to me as like bro or dude I'm like kind of like you know, okay, that's cool, but that you didn't just take for granted, you know, that I am my, um, my body, you know, my biological mm-hmm. sex. So I was like, you know, again, probably dumb, you know, like, but it is, it is those, those small things that are affirming to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is. I call everyone dude. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you got between your legs. I'm like, dude, did you see that? So if I recall you did, it's just right. a, it's just a thing, but. But there are some trans women who do really feel like that's gendered. So you kind of right. have to be, so you really do. And that's that socialization too, pulling myself back of right. saying things like guys, Hey guys. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, a big part of adulthood in general for me, especially as somebody who is a privileged white person, um, is a lot of unlearning. Yeah. A big part of adulthood is what junk was I told that is complete bullshit Mm -hmm. that I Mm -hmm. now have to kind of extricate myself from, you know, because you get told entire job some days is pulling people out of their bullshit. Yes. Especially in the realm of relationships, Mm -hmm. because we see our parents, we see our family, you know, that's a big part and sex Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of loaded and, you know, especially as someone in the feminine body, you know, being told like basically like you're gross because you're a woman or you should feel ashamed about your body or your vagina or, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. actually, I used to work with teenagers. I was a school nurse in high school oh. for, sev- for several years. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like part of that requirement should be like, if you're a school nurse in high school, you need to be absolutely hundred percent sex positive. You know, like th- they don't actually ask you that in an interview, but I'm right. like, how can you be doing this job and not be, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. safe space sounding board for these yeah. kids as they work through. Yeah. Cause if know. they, if they don't have that safety at home, they need to have it somewhere. Right. And that school nurse might be the first person that they're going to and saying like, I think I have an STI. I think I'm pregnant. Right. I got assaulted by my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever last night. Right. And this is why I have a black eye. Yeah, if they're not or even if that they're not open that s- person right. that they can trust that, like, I can go to this person and tell them what I've got going on, and especially from a sex-positive perspective, then... Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's not even... They have to be in those type of crisis situations, but I used to get people just walk... I used to get um, kids walking in and being like, can I get herpes from, mm-hmm. you know, oral sex? You know, yeah. again, because who knows what kind of sex ed they've gotten, right? Right. <laughs> right. In America? <laughs> right, Very right. Little. There's literally no telling. And so I'm like, you know, I kind of want to be, good job you asked a medical professional that you trusted. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so glad you're not just like trying to Yahoo answers this kind right? of thing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm actually excited Google that you asked a nurse this question. Um, but yeah, so there's there's a lot. There's a lot there. And like I said, But that's have why a lot kids have beliefs. gone to the internet because they don't have adults in their life that they can trust yeah. to go to. That right. They either, they fear judgment, they fear, you know, getting in trouble, all that stuff. And so that's why kids have turned to the internet these days. Yep. Sad. 
So yeah. yeah, you and I are here trying to make it a more sex positive world, right? Right. And yeah. what's funny is I never got a sex talk growing up. Me either. I was ge- Me I was either. I was handed a human anatomy book basically at like nine, mm. which I really like human anatomy. I became a nurse. I like anatomy. But yeah, like my like experience, this is going to be really funny, um, was like reading about like the childbirth and fertile, you know, through a, a anatomy book with a lot of pictures, mm-hmm. but because no one ever talked to me about it, I didn't had for 10 years I did not know how to pronounce penis or vagina because no one had said it in front of me so when you read something you know how you sound it out and they you know I thought it was penis and vagina (laughs) I laugh now but I mean like again what do you expect when you're just reading about it (laughs) you are not the first person that I have heard got basically the biological explanation of how we arrived here (laughs) on this plane of existence but they had no concept of how they actually got to that point of how a, pre- a sperm and an egg actually came together other than the biological process up until that of the like liking a person, dating that person, having a relationship, having intimacy, having sex, how sex actually works. Like, right. And it was, it was such a disservice too. You're basically making kids or making people go to porn. Right. Cause we're also going to learn about it. Well, and it was a really disservice to me because when I was young, um, when I was both four and nine, I was molested. You Mm. need to talk to kids about their body parts and their bodies and consent and all of that because at one point I'm like, oh, this is just something I keep to myself, I guess. And when I was around nine or 10 Mm -hmm. and I just held that in for like seven years, you know, because no one had been like, this is your body, you know, this is the parts, you know, so you can explain to somebody if something were to happen, mm-hmm. like that's such a disservice. And it really, um, it, it, it lasts for, you know, for decades, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it is, an, it's a shame really. Yeah. And that's why I kind of talk about my trauma recovery. And I talk about some of these things that happened to me because when I tell my story, as you know, um, you you and I were both at the same show with Amanda Palmer. When you tell mm-hmm. people's story, when you tell your story, it gives permission of, to other people. Yes. To to heal and to tell their story. Yeah. So. And the the best quote that I took away from the Amanda Palmer concert was, "If you can, you must." Yep. If you can tell your story, you must get out and tell your story. Because it's through sharing these human experiences that people learn and people grow and come to new understandings. You know, if, if we don't have people like you and I getting out there and talking about this shit, who else is going to talk about it? Right. You know, and honestly, especially in the Midwest, we both live, you know, we both live in the Midwest. Kansas city is a little more liberal than probably other places, Mm -hmm. but that, that kind of sense of morality is still there. You know, it's still kind of like, Oh, you know, this is what we do and what we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. My favorite quote was, and I like me and my husband say this to each other all the time is, if you don't deal with yep. your trauma, it will be in the basement lifting weights. Yes. Yes. And I repeated that too. I put it in a, in a blog of mine actually. Right. Yeah. Yes. She, it was about the idea that all of us have trauma. It can be something small or what's considered small by other people. Things like you moved when you were a small child and you were ripped away from everything that you knew, like your family and your friends and your house and all that stuff. Or it can be that you were beaten as a child. It could be that you were assaulted as an adult. There's so many forms of trauma. It could be a divorce. It could be losing a pet. 
your parents divorce yes you know like it could be so many things or just a really bad breakup there's so many ways that we experience trauma but we are we're I think we're becoming more willing to label these things as traumatic to give it that um I think just to give us permission to say like okay it is a big enough deal for me to deal with it right you know I think until people reach that point of of recognizing yes that was a thing that was trauma that did affect me. And it's not me. a trauma competition, right? Exactly. Just because somebody else, right. you know, like had something happen to them does not diminish your story and, mm-hmm. you know, how powerful it can be to other people. That's right. Um, I because tell people that all the time. So Yeah, so many people are like, well, I didn't have this happen. Or At least it wasn't and, this. At least it wasn't that. Right. So-and-so had it so much worse than me. I need to count my right. blessings. Okay, yes, you should count your blessings, Absolutely. But them having it worse in life does not negate the fact that you had something happen to you that affected you personally. Your pain is not diminished by someone else's pain being, quote unquote, greater. Right. But again, as we're we're kind of moving through this society who's becoming more and more trauma informed and recognizing that things need to be dealt with, that yes, that quote that if you don't deal with trauma, it will go to the basement of your soul and lift weights. That hit me hard. Like I slumped in my seat when she said that. I was like, oh, I feel that. Yeah. You just feel that. Yeah. It's kind of like, I feel like I don't even smoke. I feel like I need a cigarette after just that (laughs) sentence. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, I need to like. I got my vape in here. You need to hit that, my Joel. Former smoker here. That that really has been. And so this is something that I've been writing about more and more. A a Mm -hmm. huge chunk of my life, as I told you, has been dealing with and healing from trauma and recurrent trauma, like mm-hmm. not just what happened to me as a child, but things that have happened to me as an adult as well. Um, that has really been, I think, my my biggest both strength and challenge has been just to keep going and to keep um, and to accept that, you know, there are um, so when I was younger, I was in a, um, very abusive, you know, um, situation, um, with a partner and I still am repeating some of the, some of the survival mechanisms in my marriage, you know, in my relationships, not even just mm. to, um, to my spouse, but even to other people, you know, that, uh, that a complete, you know, detachment or like agreeing with whatever someone says because you know like well I can't actually have an opinion because you know like Mm -hmm. even though I know like you can think logically that you're safe it is totally another thing for your body to be like no you're not going to have something happen because you disagree you know like Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. you know it's um it's a it's a huge process and again it's 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 unlearning but it's also um realizing you're a different person now Mm mm-hmm that is the biggest thing I think is when you're dealing with trauma and you're healing from it, you're not that same person who went through that. Yeah. It changes you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It just kind of is right. It's kind of more the acceptance of I am not that same person. That's okay. Right. I'm, I'm here. I'm present now and I'm moving forward with what I got. Right. And carrying those experiences with me, but in a way that, you got to learn to carry them in a way that doesn't hold you back. Right. 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 And I think that, um, um, a big part of that was because for so much of my life, I thought again, that I had to deal with my stuff alone. Mm-hmm. So much of it has been asking for help. Mm-hmm. 
Um, like I, I, I'm, I'm back in therapy. I was actually in therapy when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, therapy is not a one and done thing. Oh It's not a, Oh, I checked that box. So I'm, I'm mentally healthy now. You yeah. know, it's not, it's definitely not like that. And I think like, cause again, I'm like, I've always expected or had to deal with things on my own, even as a child, you know, I kind of felt that mm-hmm. kind of burden on myself mm-hmm. and maybe it's because I'm an oldest child yeah. <laughs> that mm-hmm. probably has sense of responsibility there yeah. <laughs> right carrying the weight um but it's like you know it, it's one of those things like no there's other people in my life for a reason like mm-hmm. you know not necessarily that I need to um lash out but I can be like hey this is what I'm struggling with right now yeah you know and that has been probably one of the hardest things is just having that that ability to be like okay I need to reach out Mm-hmm. right now yeah well therapy is great i'm definitely a big proponent of it we all need it from time to time sometimes we need it long term sometimes we need it short term it's just a matter of recognizing when we need it and reaching out to somebody and finding the right professional yes. that understands you and helps you with it so for example one of the things that you know as a sex coach that i understand is there are a lot of really wonderful therapists out there who are kink friendly or kink aware who understand what goes on with gender identity and things like that. And there's a lot of really uninformed people too. So that's important, right? Is to find somebody who kind of understands like the full package of what you've got going on. Especially somebody, um, who is at least for me, you know, not maybe everybody else, but who's queer friendly mm-hmm. and who understands mm-hmm. and will affirm my identity because I really don't feel like I would get much out of somebody who's constantly like negating like who I am, yeah. like how the heck can I, can we connect or really relate? So for me, that's an important aspect mm-hmm. is having that. Um, and there's a, cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of professionals out there, professionals. I'm going to put that in air quotes mm-hmm. for listeners that um, still have a really hard time accepting that, um, there's nothing wrong with somebody who is trans mm-hmm. or, you know, even though it's not in the DSM five. Right. Right. right? <laughs> I actually have an old DSM from like the seventies uh. with all of those, oh. like even the kink was one oh, yeah. and like, you know, Oh yeah. Like being a transvestite was in there, mm-hmm. you know, all the, you know, all the awful, I just kind of keep it to remind myself, you know, of just how far we've come. Right. Right. And I have a collection of four old sexology books one is so old that it didn't, it had an illustration of like the female testicles, but it was basically describing seminal fluid as being this like magical fluid that suddenly made the semen come alive. Like they didn't understand like how semen went from being kind of like just a thing to like actually like moving around and then becoming right. kind of animated. Right. Yeah. They didn't understand what component of ejaculate did that. It was right. so, so old. So yeah. Um, and then Magic. there was one that was so very like, <laughs> oh, misogynistic. It was just oh, disgusting. Yeah. It was awful. But right. I kind of want to rewind a second there to talk about some of the things you mentioned that you did to, to work through this. And not saying you are healed at this moment, but you're on your healing journey. Sure. And you told me before the podcast that there's something you felt like has really helped you heal. And that is... Yeah. So what was interesting was, so I was in my, I'll, I'll just kind of really back up a little bit just to kind of give context. Yeah. So I was in my, um, my very abusive relationship. I mean, emotionally and physically, I was very much in fear, mm-hmm. um, of my life. Like it was one of those situations where I had tried to leave more than once and I was threatened. Um, so 
I was in this situation and I kind of very felt paralyzed. I felt trapped. Um, I felt like there was no really good option. You know how, you know, um, I just want to kind of reaffirm that there's lots of people who, you know, who want to leave these situations mm -hmm. and have tried or, you know, whatever's stopping them. There's there, there, but a lot of people don't understand this when they, when you talk about domestic violence, there's lots of legitimate reasons to make it legitimately difficult to leave. Oh, like yeah. it's, it, it is so just so people understand. So I was in this situation and I don't know if it was, and I was around, I was like 20 years old. I had just started nursing school and, um, I uh, I had like a an e-reader because I didn't really want him to know what I was reading mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. you know I was you know using it for you know how you know to to, re to research you know other things you know and getting out or whatever mm -hmm. it could be mm -hmm. um, but I started reading books on kink and I actually because it was one of those things that like I thought that I might like. I had heard a little bit about it. This is actually before Fifty Shades of Grey, even mm -hmm. like way, you know, way before that. Um, and I was kind of knew a little bit about it just from I used to perform in Rocky Horror, ah. so you know that that's uh -huh. kind of it's kind of one of those yeah. things that like you know that you know Rocky. If you don't, if you're not aware, listeners, like Rocky Horror kind of is an intersection. A little bit of poly people are involved, and kink people typically are like all these things, right? Yeah. There's a lot of different um, counterculture. Um, coming together all in mm -hmm. that um so and at one point when um my partner hurt me he said I don't know why you're crying right now you like it rough or something like that and like it was one of those realizations mm. I'm like oh fuck no like this is not the same because you didn't consent to it. I did not consent to being hurt in this way. Right. So it was one of those things that, like, even though, like, again, you know, we, you know, I may not have gotten the, the most robust understanding of consent. I'm like, no, I didn't agree to that. This is a totally different situation. This is not okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, so I understood that. Um, but I started reading more about it, and I thought this is something I may eventually want to do. Like, again, not with this person. This person obviously doesn't give two shits about my boundaries. No. And, yeah. you know, a safe word would be meaningless to this person, you know. So I started understanding that this was something that I may be interested in. Um, and I did eventually leave that situation. And I kind of kept that in the, the back burner until, because I wasn't really a part of my, my BDSM community yet. Mm -hmm. Um, until, uh, like a couple years, like a year or two later, I want to say, I think I was like 21, mm -hmm. um, when I met my first, uh, dominant, cause I was under, under the assumption, of course, like everything is a journey, right? That I was purely submissive. Uh -huh. Um, just because, you know, as a nurse, you know, you have a lot of responsibility. You have to think about a lot of different things. I'm like, oh, well, you know, outside of that, I think I would be submissive. And so I, I went through some of that and it really is different because and so when I explain it to you know quote-unquote vanilla people about kink kink is something to me that you know we have an understanding of what what a runner's high is mm -hmm. those endorphins that yeah. someone gets so I when I explain it to other people I explain like think about like a runner's high that you are getting from an experience that also deepens your connection and your bond and your sense of trust with your partner mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. so yep. it's like to me that is and then when you when you, you you may not be a masochist you may not be a sadist and that's okay right but now you kind of have a little bit of understanding what it might be like mm -hmm. 
for the people. So you're not, cause a lot of people are like, Oh, I would never do that. Or I could never let somebody hit me or I could never do this. Uh-huh. And so, and again, it deepens that, that trust. There's a lot of conversations that have to go into it before you even go into those experiences. A lot of people, you know, again, they don't show that in like, in, um, in any sort of popular media that has any sort of BDSM. There's I a lot of conversations. was the first thing that showed the, the back and forth. Right. Of, you know, what are we going to say yes to? Are we going to say no to? What's hard limits? Right, right. The negotiation. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So that is that is such an important piece. And it also is. So and so so for that was helpful for me to be like, nothing is going to happen that I'm not okay with. And mm-hmm. not to say mm-hmm. that there are not um, pretty awful people in that community who will, just like there are in, like, in the outside world, there are people who will ignore your boundaries. There are people in the BDSM community who um, are not to be trusted, right? Like, that is that is something you do. Un- I want I want anyone who's un- who's understanding it to be, like, just heavily vet people from other, yes. you know, hear other people. Um, but for the most part, m- my early experiences were really, really great. And then... Um, and it was one way to kind of reprocess because I think a huge part about trauma that people maybe um, who don't experience it um, probably don't understand is a huge part of the healing is recontextualizing and reprocessing what happened. Mm-hmm. So to me, a lot of kink and even uh, more extreme kink, such as um, consensual, non-consensual play, mm-hmm. which is you know, if you're not aware of that term, it's kind of like a, um, simulated, um, sexual assault and that like, you know, you obviously agree ahead of time what is okay, what's not. But during the scene, you know, a, a no means pretty meaningless. It's part of the, part the, of the experience. Play. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and even that was in, in a lot of ways, not that I did that very often, but it was again, a way to recontextualize being assaulted, you know? And, you know, it was kind of like, I'm reliving this in a controlled, safe way. And I know the person well enough that they would not hurt me like in a way that I wouldn't like or not, or, um, you know, intentionally. Mm-hmm. Cause, um, you know, in some sort, you know, there is an amount of risk and kink, you know, you, again, people who don't, uh, who aren't fully aware of that, you know, there, there is an amount of risk, oh, right? Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. you know, you that can't might get, get you a little too hard. That paddle might leave big old bruise or just, you know, things might happen. You do your best to avoid right. those and have you know, contingencies. Yes. Right. Yes. Or like rope, like you might not mm-hmm. know that that rope made your arm fall asleep in a weird way, or maybe that position wasn't right, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's different things that can potentially happen. You know, obviously that communication is so key during and mm-hmm. before and after, but so there is an amount of risk, but it was to me, like, again, it's controlled risk, mm-hmm. right? It's something that I can still, um, I still had that, that feeling of safety and trust, mm-hmm. um, there. So yeah, that was, that was a big piece of, of my, um, recontextualizing my trauma. And of course there's other things, there's been therapy, there's been, um, other aspects to that, you know, having a community again, BDSM is a community, mm-hmm. you know, having a community is so important. I think in any type of healing or, you know, um, of that nature, because, um, you don't have to do it alone. Like we talked about earlier. So that was helpful in that way. And then what's interesting is, and I was talking about this before we hit record. Um, so age play, there's a lot of misconceptions Mm -hmm. around age play. Mm -hmm. Um, just to kind of really briefly go into it. It's two consenting adults 
one who agrees to be like more of like a um, parent or caregiver um, figure Mm -hmm. and one who kind of sort of um, regresses into a younger age. Like Mm -hmm. they are still an adult, you know, they are still, you know, in, in, in control, but they're, um, can be like, for example, when I go into quote little space, you know, that kind of headspace where I'm younger, I'm like around seven, you mm-hmm. know, and then there's middles who are like in the pre, like who regress to preteen, and then there's bigs who are regress to teenagers. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about that was so this is true of children, but this is might be even more true of um, like littles in like the BDSM, like under um, like subculture. Mm-hmm. It's kind of highly gendered, and oh, this yeah. is you know, and it's w- true with kids yeah. too, right? Like this is what girls play with, this is what boys play with, and it's very similar in the same way of of BDSM. Like this is you know girls and pigtails, and here's you know the pink sippy cup, and here's mm-hmm. the you know like so, and it that was when I started, I guess again because you're going back and you're recontextualizing your childhood in this way. I'm like. You know, maybe I don't want to wear a dress. Like, or maybe I don't want to, you know, I don't like pink or I don't mm-hmm. like. And so I actually, um, as I was doing that more, um, and this is recently, this is only within the last like four years. I'm like, no, I think I'm a little boy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'm, when I'm little, I'm, I'm a, I'm a boy. I'm not a girl. And again, mm-hmm. that's different than your gender identity, right? Because right. you can still like kind of play with that idea, you know, in kink or in another way. And maybe that doesn't dominate your whole identity so Mm -hmm. for me it was a safe space to explore my gender Gotcha. especially when I was you know because you're you're in that younger place and you want to play with dinosaurs or rocket Mm -hmm. ship you know like you know when you're in that kind of and again because I went dealt dealt with some childhood trauma it for me was good to just even simulate the experience of my childhood that I didn't really feel like I had um as much Mm -hmm. so that was so that was important in a different way but and the more I think I was in that like little boy kind of mindset I'm like you know you know the more I think about it the more I realize it's not just in this one area like I actually identify masculinely outside of this Mm -hmm. and or I don't really feel like I identify with any specific gender so that was so it started in this in this kink realm and it like kind of went into my um, my everyday life. Gotcha. And you know, again, I think that's so important to have a safe space to kind of explore that, especially as somebody who is again gender nonconforming, mm-hmm. because it's not like you know because all I had known about before that was trans. So I thought like, oh, I have like if I feel masculinely at all, I'm gonna have to like go all the way in transition mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know get top surgery and go on hormones, you know, and just to kind of be like, no, this is a one space I can do it, and it doesn't change me mm-hmm. in this way, and then kind of bring it in a little more and a little more, mm-hmm. and um, when gotcha. when you had met me, this is a almost a you know a year About ago, a year ago yeah. uh, I was still like I kind of knew wh- who I was. But I was like, oh, because so many people don't really understand non-binary. It's just best, like, in my business space or my professional space, I remain presenting as a female. And then the more and more that, you know, I, I went to events and then I thought about, the, you know, about different um, identities. And I'm like, you know, like, I can't just be, you know, like, I can't be two people, one here, yeah. one there. Yeah. And... 
um, I'm, you know, that's why I did, you know, kind of be like, no, this is all of me. This is cohesive Mm -hmm. because that also is a lot of energy, right? We just talked about how much energy it is just to correct people now be like, what hat am I wearing? You know, like, do I, what do I answer to today? You know, or, Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was a really important step too, was like bringing the, the the sides together. Mm -hmm. And then it's interesting because when you, because right now I'm kind of more in that femme presentation it's now hard because people think I'm like rolling it back or something. Oh, uh-huh. Like, oh, did you change your mind? Right. You're not really into that? <sighs> no, it's just, that's what non-binary is all about. Right. Yeah. I'm or, just. Gender fluid. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm allowed to be, you know, like to actually identify in the way my body is. That's probably why I'm, I'll probably, I, I will never say never, but I probably won't ever get surgery and I might consider HRT at one point, mm-hmm. but at this point I'm not, but I've definitely, I'm like, my body is not like, I don't have severe. Dysphoria. You're not at war with your body. Not, not typically. Like there's times when I'm like, I wish I could flatten these things on top. And that's why I wear almost, um, exclusively like sports bras. Sports bras are kind of good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have binders yet, but like, I'm sure I would buy some, but yeah, sometimes I'm like, it's not that the body that bothers me sometimes it's just like how people perceive my body yeah. it's like the social dysphoria oh yeah mm-hmm. more so than the body dysphoria which there is a difference i you know i mm-hmm. i just kind of re again as i'm learning i just recently realized that there is you know a big difference between you know your body dysphoria and social and how people are perceiving your body mm-hmm. yeah so that's an important point to note Again, yeah. we're just here to educate people and help people kind of get, get some context and get some language because there may be somebody listening who's struggling with a lot of these same things that, that you've shared today and you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. this can help people really contextualize and conceptualize what's going on here and maybe help them with, with their sure, journey and their information. Sure. I was so. totally in denial about my dysphoria for months until literally Pride Weekend this like within three months ago because I was like oh no I don't have body dysphoria and then it's like the universe is like oh yeah and then (laughs) somehow all of my put a mirror up right right somehow all my sports bras went to like the bottom of like my dresser Uh and I couldn't find them for months and it started causing me a lot of anxiety especially because I'm like oh if I go to pride and I'm not presenting the way I want to be like who am I you know like Mm -hmm. had this existential crisis and like the night before I'm, I'm like Max, you got dysphoria. You need to like, you, you wouldn't be worrying this hard about this thing. So it's one of those things that like, even just yeah. realizing that your feelings are okay, not just okay, but like there's a name to it. Like, you know, that anxiety that you feel, that's, that is dysphoria. There's something you can do about that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you name the feeling and you acknowledge it, then you can do something about it. Yeah. But until you've acknowledged and really been able to recognize it, I don't feel like there's much you can do in that yeah. regard. Yeah. The universe will keep presenting you with the same problem over and over again until you learn your lesson, right? Yes, It'll keep absolutely. saying, like, we've got solutions. You just need to use them. And when you go, like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't need that. It comes right back around. Right. It's a deeper and or deeper problem. Or that's not my problem. That, that, my problem's different. This is not my right. problem. <laughs> yeah. And then the universe is like, are you sure that's not your problem? And then you get that Godspeck <laughs> moment where they just pop you upside the head. And you're like, oh, fuck my life. Okay, that's what you were trying to tell me. Okay, got it. Yeah. Oh, wow. So... As you move about in the world as someone who's gender fluid, non-binary, where do you see yourself as someone who, I mean, obviously beyond this podcast, you're educating people, but like, do you see yourself eventually, especially with the nursing background, being in that sort of 
role or is this going to be something that's just going to be kept more personal? So it's interesting that you uh, mentioned that is I've really started thinking broadly about all of these topics and issues um, since I started um, writing a book. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot of writing, like my main, like my business is actually um, blogging for other businesses, health and wellness businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm thinking constantly about the power of story, Uh about other, you know, and I've helped other people tell their stories and their transformations. And I'm like, okay, well, I really need to start looking at my own again and really revisiting Mm -hmm. that and recontextualizing how gender has affected that journey Mm -hmm. as well. Because that is something that I really, like I said, has been more recent um, but it's something that's probably been there, you know, like again, in the, in the, on the side in the back kind of being like, you'll, you'll figure it out eventually, Max. So mm-hmm. we're just gonna, you know, we'll just, we'll just hang tight. But, um, but yeah, so that's what I've been working on. And I do see, and I have done some speaking mm-hmm. not only on gender identity, but also on, you know, on trauma and different recovery, mm-hmm. um, journey, you know, that, that recovery journey. Um, and so I see myself really just, you know, not only helping other people's stories, but really living into and speaking to my own and really helping people in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned, especially with your church, you know, and that's as, you know, unity Unitarians are a little more progressive than others, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people there who don't still need to broaden their horizons and an understanding mm-hmm. of, of gender and all the orientation relation, relationship structures, all of it. Right. Um, There's not only a generational gap. So mm-hmm. part of it is it's not, like you said, um, unita- Unitarians, which are different than the Unity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, unit- Unitarians, they're very progressive. They're willing to listen. They want to learn. But again, when you are maybe a baby boomer, you know, you don't have that kind of understanding, which is fine. I don't have a problem educating people that want to know. Right. It's just not, I'm not going to argue with somebody about penis means boy and vagina means girl. And, you know, I'm just not going to argue with that kind mm-hmm. of person, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there's actually a show coming up soon that one of my previous guests did, um, Jay Pryor. They are doing a show called the gender reveal party. And it is their story, um, of their evolution through gender. Mm. And again, like you talk about that social dysphoria, cause it is sometimes about not just how you're identifying, but how is society seeing you? Yeah. What do you present as? What do you pass as? Right. What sort of privilege do you have or not have because of how someone right. identifies you? Um, so he's, they have another showing coming up at the end of September. You might consider going out and yeah. seeing that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty spectacular. We could drive in together. I <laughs> we went and saw it. I went two houses I know, together. but I did already go see. I would go see it again yeah. just to support Jay. But it was a fantastic show. I mean, there were right. a couple of points where I was just like standing up clapping for everything. Like, yes, this is... It's so uh, funny when you talk about gender reveal parties because something always rubbed me the wrong way about them, bef- even before I was at, like out about myself. So one of the, um, and then I'm like, oh, it's because that's bullshit. Like right. your genitalia does not like determine like, you know, like this, the, your trajectory of your life is now yes. this because you have a vagina. You that's know? exactly what Jay says in their show <laughs> is that gender reveal parties are absolute bullshit because what you're doing is revealing what their genitalia is probably going to be. Cause let's also talk about how, what a sonogram tells you is not necessarily what happens. It could be intersex or things like that, but ultimately you're socializing the people in your life on how to treat your baby based on right. whether they're blue or they're pink. Right. You're, I know. Yeah. 
I'm actually, and it's bullshit. I'm actually pregnant and I'm going to start. And That's right. so I just saw, I'm just, you just reminded yeah. me. I saw your boat. So, and I, and I think but we're just going to let that be a surprise. Cause I'm like, I'm not really all to the way I say it is I'm not really all that concerned about my child's genitalia anyway right? to begin with. And like, I just, I feel like I'm just like not going to dress like the pink in the point was kind of like, and they're like, cause you know, everyone who's like, you're walking down the street. Who is like, what is it? I'm like, why Don't do you, know. why do you care about uh, an infant's genitalia? sir or ma'am yeah. so they can buy you the right present so they can buy you trucks and blue shit or bows and pink shit it's just all like, yeah just if you say it that way though they're like oh that does sound gross doesn't right? it and you're like yeah. yeah see when i say it like that it does sounds weird doesn't it yeah yeah retrain people man retrain when i give baby presents they tend to be things like green or yellow or just a rubber duck or like just something that's not it is completely not gender specific and it doesn't make noise. <laughs> right, right. Rebecca's like the only thing I give, they make noise. But like, I have never tried to feed into this. I've had a few friends who have done gender reveals. That's why I've, I've actually never been to one. Right. I have not either. I just don't have that much of an interest in it. Right. I, like you say, I just don't have an interest in going like, okay, yeah, let's keep feeding into the socialization and all the, the gender crap. The misogyny, you know, right. the anti-woman stuff. We just, you're having a child. Like just... Well, and then it becomes like, look, we bought the the um, heartbreaker for the boy. You know mm. what I mean? Like, it's like, why are we like, like introducing even the idea of like relationships to infants too? Like that's oh yeah, like, like infants to me, are it like becomes, oh, that's her little boyfriend at school, daycare. Yeah. Like it's mm. just like you know, like and they're then, two children that play together. Okay, or they lay next to each other and roll over at the same. Like I don't right. know what like, do kids they do. Or, yeah, yeah. Like I, it's, uh, it's it's just it kind of just goes along with. We have not, um, we have not, um, evaluate, some people just have not evaluated the, let's face it, garbage beliefs that they've been fed mm -hmm. and they're just not even considering like just, you know, just Xeroxing all those things that they were told, you know, and that's, and that's unfortunate because I think that a big piece of, you know, like I said, becoming an adult before you even become a parent is being like, what have I been told that I need to re-examine? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people I don't think have honestly done that, done that um work and which is which is really un un unfortunate because like i said then it gets passed down to other generations and then mm -hmm. who knows? generational trauma <laughs> talked about <laughs> right. on this show too right, oh god right yeah yes it's funny how these themes keep coming back up but i mean it's all related to how how we express our sexuality how we move through relationships how we move through life right you know so all of it's important so i'm glad we got to talk about yeah, a lot of this, this stuff great. today what is your book about? Um, it is about, so it's about how becoming involved in social justice has actually been, like that's the main focal point of my trauma recovery has been working so other people don't have to go through what I did. You gotcha. Know? And like, gotcha. I may have never, I'm, I'm never going to get justice for the people who've hurt me. Like that's just a reality, right? But um, actually there was one person I was very surprised that the Lawrence PD is um, investigating because you saw that, that mm -hmm. article, yeah. So I'm like, ooh, one person actually might get arrested. This is actually... Um, but it's sad it had to happen, happen to somebody else in order for... What's that? It's just sad when... Oh, I'm, he's been it doing has that for to happen to I somebody was not else. The first and, and I was not the last. Yeah. Like, I just knew that about that person. Yeah. Um, that was a pretty big story about that person, too. It was. So, and it was on a lot of different yes, it was. outlets. It was not just a Kansas City thing. So mm -hmm. I was actually surprised by that. Mm -hmm. um, he's probably never going to get work again, whether he gets arrested or not. Good. <laughs> right he shouldn't darn <laughs> so i'm like okay you know 
Um, but, but yeah, so it's really about how recontextualizing also, um, being uncomfortable, you know, and like how our society is not tolerable to discomfort, which Mm -hmm. is why we don't really give people the space they need to talk about their stories or to be honest. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You know, so it's talking about that. And then it's, so it's like personal essays intermingled with like, what does, you know, what is the, the research bear out? What is social? Um, what are other stories that relate to, to this? So it's not just about me, but it's going to be quite, it's going to be probably like half memoir, you know? So very good. And I'm not sure how kink is going to fit into that. Exactly. As a writing coach recently told me, just start writing and you'll figure out how it all pieced together. Right. Just get your 500 words a day in, right? Right. That is, yeah. I'm like, if I hit, I like to hit a thousand, but if I hit 500, I consider that a a job well done. Yeah. Yeah. I usually shoot for 500 and then I find I've written a thousand before I know it. So I just keep going. And it's really not that long because I type 70 words a minute. Even even daily. Once you hit start and you're like committed to the writing, then you get into a little bit of a flow. Even if yeah. it's a short flow, it's still enough where you're like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, do your folks work, I get can't. it done. Right, right. So, that's so as you're building your empire and doing things like writing books, how can people find you, Max? So uh, I feel this is interesting because I made my domain before it came out as Max. So my domain is crystalbaird.com. And my uh, Instagram is at Crystal Clear Storytelling. Um, so those are the two best ways. Gotcha. Well, it's a very catchy name. As you can tell, I like catchy names, like keep them coming with Open the Doors Coaching. So Crystal Clear. I like that. Okay, right. very good. And that one I think of what I've, I've kept because I'm like, even though I know that what used to be my, you know, that's still my technically my legal name. Mm-hmm. It's still like it's. It, it stands on its own. So yeah, absolutely good branding, good branding. So, well, if you'd like to get in touch with Max, if you've got any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to Max, especially on Instagram. And yeah, I really appreciate you being on the show today to talk about all this. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And check the show notes for stuff we discussed in the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my not safe for work email list called The Dirty Bird if you want more content about sex and relationships. You can support said content, like my work with this podcast and other forms of media, by visiting listener support with Anchor FM or visit patreon.com to become one of my patrons. Again, check the show notes. I have links for you there. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.